That sounds a little like sermon prep time for me. I live by Dixie Speedway. <laughs> and I'm telling, I'm being honest, like this is that time of year just about now where like every Saturday night I'm like, get my motor running, head out on the highway, looking for adventure. I'm, I'm, I'm like ready, I'm serious. Dixie starts and I'm like, preach the word, preach the word, you know. Woo. That wasn't my intro. I want to put a slide up on the screen. Tonight, we have an opportunity as a church to join together for the One Race Regional Gathering for prayer and worship together. And what is this? This is the idea that we don't have a race issue. I I told you this a long time ago. I said, we don't have a skin issue in our country. We got a sin issue, right? And this is going to be an awesome night tonight because churches that are uh, multicultural churches, black churches, white churches... Hispanic churches, everybody coming together from this region as we prepare our hearts for the August 25th experience at Stone Mountain, Georgia, when two to three hundred churches, 20 to 30,000 people across Atlanta will go together to Stone Mountain to declare unity in the body of Christ in the Atlanta metro region. Amen? Amen. You got some praise for some unity. Amen? Amen. And so tonight, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, that's going to be taking place at Victory Church. Just on 92 as you head to Ackworth. You can't miss it. they got nice signs. You will find them. Pastor Jeff Hidden is a good friend, wonderful pastor, and I'm glad that they're hosting that over there. And so please come out. My hope and his hope is we'll have so many folks there that the next regional one we won't be able to do there. We won't be able to do here. We'll have to find someplace. Johnny, we're coming. <laughs> I'm in a mood. Uh, I just want to start with prayer today. Is that all right? Father, right now, I thank you for my family. I thank you, Jesus, for the joy and the privilege of just being able to speak your word today. God, would you just lead my my heart, lead my conversation, guide my words and actions, God. And Lord, would you today, (laughs) would you today bring victory? Would you today shame the devil? Would you today, Lord, cause us to be all that you've caused us to be, call us to be, in Jesus' precious name, everybody say amen. amen. Let me get back to the races, if that's okay. Growing up, when I was growing up, there was a racetrack close to my house. It was one town over. I grew up in Mansfield, Ohio, and the town over was called Lexington, Belleville area, and there was a racetrack, and if you're into like Formula One racing, etc., open wheel racing, you're going to know this, mid-Ohio. Has anybody ever heard of that before? There's, there's men nodding, yes, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, 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 a national level, I mean, international level track. It's absolutely amazing. And there was a man that would often race there. He even had a house there in that area by the name of Paul Newman. How many you, how many's heard of Paul Newman before? You know, if you're under like 30, you're like, I love his salad dressing. His... That ranch dressing, oh, to die for. So good. But if you're, if you're older than 30, you know Paul Newman was an actor, right? And all the women are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? uh, Barb is like, oh. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, she's like, got my motor running. <laughs> no. So, okay, so. Why do I always tease on you? I don't know why. So when it comes down to it, he had this house. And so you know him. But for us, we know that he was in movies like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And, and he was in um, 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 oh, the, the Sting. That was a popular one. And, and probably his most famous was Cool Hand. Yeah, Cool Hand Luke. That's probably his famous. Just, just the egg scene. Just, just bad, man. Dude was bad, you know. And 
bad, but Barb's like, good. So, all right, I'm done, I'm done with that. All right, so when it comes down to it, when it comes down, listen, he was an actor. He was an actor. That's what he was known for. But listen, when he got behind the wheel of his Formula One, he was in the race. Something shifted. He was a racer. He was a race car driver. He wasn't in the race when he was acting, though right? He wasn't in the race when he was on the sidelines. He was in the race when he got in his machine, this machine that had a chassis, this machine that had four wheels, this machine that had an engine, this powerful dynamic force. In that moment, he wasn't an actor. In that moment, he was a driver. He was something different. He was being propelled down that track. And listen, I think the church needs to realize that God doesn't need any more actors. Come on, somebody. God's looking for some drivers. He's looking for some people to take the hands to the wheel of what he's given you and say, let's go do this for God, you know? And, and, and that's what the next few weeks is about, is looking at what God wants for us to put our hands to. These three areas that we need to embrace to be able to run the race well, to be able to drive, if you will, into all that God has for us, to be able to move in the dynamic that he has for his church and for our lives personally, individually. I've told you before, we're only as good as a church as we are individuals, right? You are the church, amen? And collectively, we can do some amazing things together, amen? But when it comes down to it, I want us over the next three weeks to look at these kind of big categories, these big chunks that need to be at play in our lives, or at least really understood and really embraced, really lived in and lived out, you know? And so we're going to be looking over the next three weeks at these things. We're going to be looking at power and grace and truth. Everybody say power, grace, and truth. Power, grace, and truth. Amen. I believe Jesus wants his church to be dynamic. I believe that God is not looking for actors. He's looking for believers that will find themselves embracing all that he has given them to be propelled forward. That's what God's desire is for his house. That's what his desire is for me and for you. And over the four next, three next weeks, we'll be looking at this. And, and I just think it's a great way to propel us into Easter. I'm, I'm being honest. Easter is a celebration of what Jesus did so that we could walk in these three, th- these three things. Amen? So if we're celebrating what he did so we can walk in these three, we better really understand these three. We better really get a hold of them for what they mean for us personally and what they mean in our lives, in and through our lives. Amen? And so when it comes down to it, I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. There's a person that really exemplifies all three of these in their life. And his name is Stephen. Stephen. One of the, one of, he was the first martyr. Stephen, he was one of the first ministers picked beyond the disciples to do the work of the Lord. How many know God is still picking ministers beyond those chosen or those disciples or those that you think you don't qualify for to be in that category? You do. Come on, somebody. You qualify. Elbow somebody. Say, you qualify. And so God was picking this man, but there were some things within his life that were markers that allowed him to kind of rise up. And I don't think that's because it was just him. I think that's an invitation for us. That if we embrace these markers, we can rise up for his glory and for his purpose and, and see his benefit in our life and through our life. It says, let's stand to our feet. It doesn't say that, but I want you to stand to your feet. Oh, if you're a guest, we always stand just to honor God's word. And we're going to go down <coughs> to Acts, <clears throat> Acts chapter 6. And when I, when I think about this passage, what leads us to this is, guess what? A church fight. Come on, somebody. 
I'm being honest. That's what leads us to this. You know what? We can always grow from stuff, can't we? We can always learn from mistakes. We can always learn where, where we struggle and, and work together and move forward. And that's exactly what happened here. The, the, the Hebraist, I know you're still standing. The Hebraist and the Hellenist, they were like fighting. And those, they were frustrated because the Hellenistic Jews weren't, their widows weren't getting taken care of. And they were frustrated. And, and the Hebraist Jews, most of those disciples were Hebraist. And, and it wasn't like they were trying to do those widows wrong. It's just the church was growing so fast. God was doing so much stuff. And feelings and hurts as giftings and, and weaknesses and lack and all that kind of stuff just started to manifest. And in it, God gave these guys some wisdom to help them move forward. And part of that wisdom was find some guys that move in power, grace, and truth. And I want to tell you, every single person in here today, we can strive to move in power in grace and truth. And here's what it says in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. They have that truth within them. They're full of the spirit, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full, shout full, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Icanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. I want to jump past verse 7, just for a second. Go down to verse 8. And then it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And you can see those three elements of grace. and You see the element of power. You see wisdom and, and that word. You see truth. That is embraced by them. But here's what's exciting. What was trying to destroy the church, when they rose up with a heart for maturity, when they rose up with a heart to grow, watch what happens in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. See, the word of God, we want it to increase. Because when he speaks, people get healed. And when he speaks, strongholds are broken. And when he speaks, lives are changed. And here we see what could have been a real bad, divisive thing. But everybody got in board. And was, God, let's move forward. We're, we're not there. Help us. And they found some people that could lead the way. And I just want to look for some people here today that can lead the way. God, help me have power. Help me have truth. Help me hold on to grace. What does that look like in my life? It goes on. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And even a great many of priests, these are Jewish priests, came into obedience to faith. Isn't that awesome? What the enemy meant to bring destruction, God turned for good. And God always is doing that. God's the God that will flip. The devil loves to cause your good to be evil spoken of. You know that? But the devil, but God will flip that. And he will cause those things in your life that the enemy meant for evil, he'll flip it and turn it for good if we'll let him. And that's exactly, this could have become first Jerusalem and second Jerusalem church. First Jerusalem, the church of the Hebraist. And second Jerusalem, the church of the Hellenist, but it didn't in the name of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And then there's this model for us to follow. And, and you may say, yeah, but, but Pastor Ross, Stephen, as our example, didn't he die? Yeah. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> but let me get real spiritual. But he died looking in the gaze of the eyes of Jesus. Hallelujah. No, I'm being serious. though. He died with his eyes on his prize. Amen. 
Is that the way you want to go too? Yeah, yeah. Some of us, I don't want us to go too soon, amen? I want us to go a long time from now. But still, he died with his eyes on the prize of Jesus, amen? And so go ahead and have your seat. I know I had you stand too long. I have to stand all this time, though. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so when it comes down to let me ask you this question. Ha- have you ever felt like you just needed a sense of grace? You know? I'm not saying like what Pastor Brantley preached on last week, a sense of forgiveness. I'm not saying that you feel like you need to be forgiven or you need to offer forgiveness. I just mean just a sense of, of grace, you know? You, you need kind of a touch and a reminder of what that means, you know? I love how Paul says that sense of grace. He says, says that touch of the amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He says that at the end of the book of Corinthians and the second chapter, the second book of Corinthians, and he just, just is loving on his church that he's ministering to, and just, he just knows they need grace. Why? Because we're fallen. We're not perfect. Not a one of us. Amen? And that sense that you have at times where you're just like, oh, it's overwhelming. It's all right. His grace, the Bible says, is what? Sufficient. Amen? And there's times when we feel that. And I'm saying the sense that you just need to know it's going to be okay. A sense of his grace that says to you, everything is going to work out. Amen? Amen. Just say, that's it, everything is going to work out. We saw that with the early church. The enemy tried his best. And God came and began to do a work. And you're a part of that work still 2,000 years later, everything worked out because they were so smart? Because they were so good? No, because they leaned into grace. They leaned into truth. They leaned into God's power. And you are that evidence. And nothing, nothing has changed. Amen? That sense that something greater than yourself is carrying you, that sense of grace, that, that no matter right now how you feel, you may feel as if the wheels are going to fall off, you know? But there's something just keeping it together in your life, guess what? That's grace. You know? You feel like, how in the world? There's still something holding all in place, and it's not because you have it all figured out, and it's not because you have enough money, and it's not because you have enough health, or because you have so much wisdom, but it's because you have a deep, abiding awareness of the grace of God. And if you struggle with that, man, I'm praying over the next few weeks that God will begin to infuse you with His grace and understanding what that looks like. That you can feel as if, man, I can get through this. I can go. I need that. I need that sense. You need that sense. Amen? Here's the thing about it. It's a sense we need, but it's a reality we have. It's done. By the blood of Jesus, it's done. His grace has been offered. That's hard to receive sometimes. We need to be reminded of that. And Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the subject of grace starting today and, and power and truth. And how all these things both received and operated in brings forth a dynamic life. Not just for us, but it allows God to do a work in and through us into other, other people's lives as well. I think of it like that vehicle that we saw just a little bit ago on the screen. That vehicle has all the power and ability that it has. I mean, it's, that thing was fierce, you know. But when it comes down to it, if it doesn't have a chassis, it won't hold together. Right? Today, what we're doing is we're looking at grace. Grace, for me, when I think of this analogy, grace is that chassis. Oh, you have a pastor. It might be a unibody. Shut up. 
<laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> just, the idea, just the idea of a frame. Let's go there. Every allegory, every analogy breaks down, I know. But that idea of a frame, that idea of something, a chassis, that everything gets connected to that. And truth of the matter is, that is what grace is. Because we can't hold on to grace. Grace is given to us. And then everything God has for us attaches itself to that chassis, to that thing. So today we're looking at grace. That's that chassis. Next week we're going to look at the wheels that we roll on. That's that truth. His wheels, his, his path before you, that word that takes you down the trail. That is the word of the Lord. That's those wheels, if you will. And then finally, the last week, right before uh, Palm Sunday... We're going to be looking at power. Everybody say, shout power. Power. Oh, say it real powerful. Say power. Power. When I was a kid growing up, R.W. Schambach was popular in the tent revival. So he'd say, power. <laughs> I'd practice that in the mirror. I would. 20-year-old preacher going, power. It's fun. Good stuff. Good times. But here's the thing. Who cares if we have all the stuff? That was a pretty fancy vehicle up there, you know? Who cares if we have all the stuff? The body. We have the wheels, we have all the neat things, you know. If we don't have an engine, we can't move forward, we can't go. At least not the rate that God wants us to go. And so we need power too, that's that engine, amen. And so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And um, Because if you don't have anything to move down the road, it's useless. And so I want to see us have that power. But we're going to start with grace though. You know why we're starting with grace? Can I just tell you the truth of the matter is? Because without grace... That grace that God brings, truly, the wheels will fall off of your life. Isn't that the truth? I'm telling you. How many thank God for God's grace? Be honest. I mean, there's some people in here that truly, I mean, with a stretched out hand, it's kind of like your testament that God got you through this year. Is anybody? Amen. Amen. Look at that. You know what that tells me? That we're all in this together. You know? That we're not perfect. You know, some of those hands are raised because it was addiction they were struggling with and God got them through. Some of them, they went through a divorce. Some of them, mama died, you know. Some of them were broke, busted, and disgusted. Some of them tore up from the floor up, beat up from the feet up, messed up from the chest. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think you got my points. Ah, I want to take you for a moment into a, a scripture story, and I'll have you turn your Bibles to it. It's in, it's in um, a Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, and, and just give me a little bit of poetic license with it. Just imagine a woman who needs so much grace, and she's got her son who they're taking to the graveyard, and he's dead, and the people are carrying the casket. Just go with me there to this, just outside this little city called Nain, N-A-I-N, and They're taking this boy to put him in the ground. And not only is it her son, it's her only son. And not only is it her only son, she's a widow. I mean, this is it. She has nothing else in that culture that would leave her close to destitute. And all the different mourners and all the family are with her because that's just kind of the custom of that time was to walk with everybody in the city. They would come and they're mourning and they're crying, they're bereaving. And they're on their way to put this boy in the ground. And on their way, a man comes along. (coughs) Excuse me. And as they're going, he comes up to the mourners and he pushes them aside. He interrupts and he kind of hurries to the front and he says, Here, let me deal with the dead. I can bring this young man back to life. And he comes up and instantly the procession, they just halt. They stop because they want to know what in the world's going on. And with mystified gaze, they look at this man. What is he going to do? Is he going to bring this kid back to life? So he gets there and he says to this, he's all this man needs is education. That's all this, this kid needs. He just needs to know some things and I'll bring him back 
to life. And so he comes and he brings a book of science and he brings a book of philosophy and he attempts to teach the young man in the coffin, but in vain. He's watching for his face to turn pink. He's watching for his heart to start to palpitate in his chest. Nothing happens. He tries his best, but education failed. Another man, as we're going a little further, he tries to approach the scene. He elbows his way in, and he says, he can too. He can, I can bring this child back to life, this young man. I can do this. So all he has to do, the young man, if he'll just make up his mind, he's going to live. If he can just exert his will and choose to live, he will live. And so he begins to preach to him positive confession. You're not dead. Say that. <laughs> Nothing from the dead man. But he's trying to get him to think positively, think differently, speak good, and God's going to turn this around for you. Through the knowledge, through that, 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 that idea, it's just your choice. Choose, young man, and you can get up and you can live. But there's no response. And as that previously confident man looks upon this lifeless face of this young boy, he walks away sulking, realizing that positive thinking and willpower alone isn't going to bring this boy back to life. Amen? Another man comes forward, and this man, he, he speaks. He's like, my friends, do you know what this man needs? This man needs religion. And obviously, these are Jewish people. And so he pulls out the Torah. He begins to read Torah over him. He begins to read the precepts of the law over him. And if he can hear the law... It will bring him back to life. And so he begins to speak how he should live. He begins to speak the law. The law is a good thing. The word of God is good. Amen? Amen. But in the most midst of that, and it wouldn't have mattered if it was the Jewish religion, if it was Islam, it wouldn't have mattered what it was. Christian science, it wouldn't have mattered. The boy stayed and remained dead in that casket. Religion, religion failed also. Someone even says, how can a corpse observe the law since he cannot even hear the words until he is first alive? All religious precepts will avail to nothing. And that person declaring that was right. And so sorrow continues in the heart of that mother. And they continue to make their way to that graveyard to put that young man in the soil. And then from the crowd steps the figure of one who walks with perfect confidence. He ain't walks right up, begins to, to talk to the lady, begins to show compassion, begins to take time. And I love it. He had such composure in the midst of certain failure. He had such composure. He knew exactly what was going to happen because this man was the resurrection and the life. Amen? A sudden hush falls on the expectant throng as he stands for a moment beside the, cap, the coffin. And there that young dead boy is there. And he speaks... His voice calm but authoritative, and he says this, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Come on, somebody. Eagerly, the people, they draw close. Who is this? What is this power? What is going on here behind these simple words from this simple man? What manner of man, they say, is this? And then their questions are instantly answered as this kid's eyelids quiver and open, and this kid sits up and begins to speak, and begins to praise his God. Amen? So what happened? What happened in the story? Simply, you ready for this? Jesus imparted life. Period. That's what it was. Jesus. He imparted life. The man was dead, and it was life that he needed. It wasn't education. 
It wasn't religion. It wasn't anything other than life. And Jesus extended life to him through his grace. Amen? And that, my friends, that's what grace is. This is one of the great essentials. Education won't do it. Man's will or good thoughts won't do it. Religion won't do it. No matter how sincere that religion is, we need life. And none of the things we regard as being of value is equal to the gift Jesus offers through grace that has the power to make dead things live again. And I want to read the actual scripture. I know I was just kind of playing with that a little bit, if that was okay. But listen, Luke chapter 7, verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. That's where it starts, guys. Don't think the enemy's against, or the, 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 don't think Jesus is against you. In the midst of your stuff, you're dead. And he's coming to bring life. In the midst of your struggles, there's death. And he's coming to bring life. Jesus comes and he has compassion on us. That's the mark of that grace. It's not just empathy. It's not just, oh, it stinks to be you. You know, that's the, that's the difference between empathy and compassion. Now, I didn't put this in my notes. I'm just, gonna, I'm just kind of off the dome, so I might, I'm pretty sure this is right. If I remember right, that word compassion is like, like the same word, kind of like it's like your stomach in Greek. It, it, it's, he feels it so deep in his stomach. But it's not like empathy where it stinks to be you. It's such a deep stirring. I got to do something about it. I got to fix this. I got, I, I'm so stirred in my gut. I, I can't help myself. And when God looks at your situation, he doesn't go, oh my gosh, again? Are you kidding me? Look what you're doing. Are you serious? Your pastor thinks that. God doesn't. Aren't you glad he's our shepherd, amen? But that compassion is different than empathy. It's, I've got to do something about it. And that's grace. And he looks at you and he says, do not weep. Begins to minister to her. Then he came up and he touched the bier. And the bear stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. If you're here today, man, and you feel like you're apart from Christianity, you're apart from Jesus, that, that, you're dead. But he wants you to be able to stand up. And if you're here and you're a believer and there's things unreconciled, there's things that need God's grace. Those things are dying in your life. And he wants to give you his grace in those situations. Amen? And so when it comes down to it, as we look at this, it goes on and it says, And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. And this is my favorite thing. This is what I want to see on Easter Sunday morning. This is what I want to see when we gather together as a church. This last part of the verse. Everybody, can you ever say this last line with me? And... Say it one more time. And God, God has yeah, and God has visited his people. Through all, that's what grace does. It opens a way for God to come in visitation. You know, looking beyond your fault, looking beyond your sin, just laid out dead before him. God, if it's not you, I can't do this on my own. And guess what? He comes because that's who he is, a compassionate, grace-filled God. Now listen, grace, I love this saying what grace is. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Isn't that good? It's everything for nothing to those who don't really deserve anything. Well, don't tell me I don't deserve anything. Well, you don't. You're dirt, right? We don't deserve anything. But grace gives us everything. Grace gives us access. And that access allows us to come boldly to the throne room of God. And what's so beautiful about that is when we have that access and we can come boldly to the throne room of God, we don't ever get haughty in that. Why? Because we're dead. 
we're only alive in Jesus. Is that good? And, 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 and when we don't understand things supernaturally and things like that, it's okay. Because we're dead. And we're only alive in Jesus. And we, we work together to figure those things out. Why? So that God can show up in a powerful, significant way in our lives. The most important thing to bear when you're thinking about this is that grace is that free gift given to us by Jesus. Ross, that's so simple. I know. But we miss it. It's a free gift given to us by Jesus. The old saying of what grace was was God's riches at Christ's expense. How many's heard that before? Yes, you went to Sunday school, I know. Most of us didn't, so no. But God's riches at great at Christ's expense. Just that idea of unmerited favor, something you can't you can't work up, you can't make happen. It's unmerited. God just brings it into our lives. And here's how that looks, all right? In 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And here's what I love about this. This is kind of, I mean, if you're dead, you're kind of sick, right? It's like the ultimate sickness. What would you say? I'm just being honest. That guy, if he's not breathing, he's sick, right? But it says, by his wounds, you've been healed. Every one of us, sin caused us to be sick. And that sickness leads to death. And that death leads to separation from God. Grace came that we might have life. Amen? Grace came that we might be forgiven. Grace came that we might be strengthened in the midst of our weaknesses. Grace came so that we could be sufficient in him. Grace came to us so powerfully and so beautifully. And let me just say it this way. Don't get high and mighty ever. Please. I'm hoping in the next few weeks we're going to be teaching on power. We're going to be teaching on truth. Some of the people that get the most high and mighty are people that move in power and truth. You know? Now, those that just move in grace, come on. You know, I get that too. It's like, we just love. We don't care about anything. You know, no, God, that's why this is so important. We, we got to have grace, truth, and power. And as we do that, and any part of that, we should never get haughty about any of it. We should never feel high and mighty about any of it. Why? Remember that you were dead and you were on your way to be buried in a sinner's grave. And Jesus came and had compassion on you. <laughs> Amen. How many has gone through some tough stuff recently? Yeah, yeah. But his grace is sufficient. You know what? His grace is sufficient. For every single thing that's going on, his grace is sufficient. Now, here's the thing about it. Grace, it didn't come without a cost. It just came without a cost to you. All right? There's a price to grace. You just didn't have to pay it. Again, that's what puts us on that level playing field. Because at the cross, the foot of the cross is level. We're all growing, we're all learning, we're all moving forward in power, grace, and truth. And we're all helping each other to discover that. What that looks like, it didn't come without a cost, it just came without a cost to you. I love what E. Stanley Jones said. He said this, grace is free, but when once you take it, you are bound forever to the giver. That's how it should be. God, I received your grace freely, but I am at your call, Lord. You are my master, you are my savior, you are my Lord. You bid and I do. Whatever you ask, Jesus. But, 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 but I don't think I can do what he asks. I know. That's why he'll give you more grace. The Bible talks about that. that. He'll give you even more grace. He says that you know he gives grace to more? Those who are humble. 
Bible tells us that in both Peter and James. That he'll give grace to the humble. You know? Why? Because we need more. We all need more. Amen? I'm going to close with this, or at least make my way to close with this. <laughs> grace is free, but it's not cheap. And I want us to have this embrace of the compassion of the Lord for our lives and not beat ourselves up and feel like we can keep our wheels together. We can keep moving, even if everything's not perfect in your own personal lives, in our own, perfect, our own personal church, in other, whatever. You know, it's not perfect. But that's why we have grace. But on the other side, that grace is that gift, and I want to be honorable to the giver, and I want to move forward. And so it's not free. It's free, rather, but it's not cheap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite believers of all time, put to death by the Third Reich for his stance for Christianity. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he said this, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. No, we're dead in our sins and we need to repent. And his grace is sufficient. It's not we don't care. It's not what grace is about. That, that's like buying wheels that have been retreads, you know? We don't care. It's cheap, cheap grace. It doesn't. No, God wants you to have some serious Michelin. I don't know what good tires. But it's, good, it's good grace, you know? Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. He goes on, he says, costly grace. Now, this is the, 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 the converse side of this. Is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes himself to stumble. Not, not somebody else, but such introspection that I'm undone. Give me grace, God, to pluck out, to deal with my stuff. It's costly. Kingly rule. Jesus, you rule my life. The kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble, is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his net and follows him. Everything he knows and follows Jesus. Grace is free, but it's definitely not cheap. That unmerited, loving favor of a gracious God, it's a wonderful gift that should motivate us to live in a way that is pleasing to a grace-giving And can I just say this as we close? Everything about our faith hangs on that chassis of grace. Everything that we hold to. Let's never miss the grace he gives to us. But one of the greatest ways we can lose out in our Christian faith is to allow the grace to be extended through us. Everything in our lives hangs on that grace. The grace shown to us and the grace shown, everybody say, through us. I think of a car without a chassis, it's kind of hard to, it's, it's a motorcycle, in a sense, and that's fine if I'm going someplace, you know, Mark, I love you, but you ain't riding on my bike with me, bro, <clears throat> you know, you should be so lucky, but you're not, but I got a chassis, I got a vehicle that carries me, and that grace in my life, it extends an invitation, say, come on, ride with me. Let's go together. But I'm not worthy. It's all right. Come on. We're going to figure this out. But we're not getting along. That's okay. Grace will carry us. But you don't see me. That's okay. We'll get in the car. We'll figure this out together. Grace will carry us.
But you said this. Grace will carry us. You thought that. Yeah, but grace will carry us. Earlier I alluded to Paul, the way he closed out 2 Corinthians. That's the end of the second letter to Corinth. That church in Corinth was, they had issues. We have issues. Jesus loved that church. He never ever took them, he never took the track away from them. He just showed them how to stay on the track. That's what he did. And the last part of that verse, I love how it said in the message, may the amazing grace of the master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But before it says that beautiful, beautiful benediction, before it says that, he says this. We'll put this on the screen. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Sounds like grace, doesn't it? Restoration between us and God. We can't do it on our own, but God did it for us. That's grace. And he closes us out, challenging the church in Corinth to be able to do the same toward each other, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm coming for you, Mark. (laughs) It says in verse 13, all the saints greet you. Everybody kiss Mark. It's going to be be a fun day (laughs) for Mark. Verse 14, and then it closes. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Do you see those three elements still in that? The grace of God. That idea of that, the moving of the Holy Spirit, that fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the love of God. And you may say, but I don't see the word. I don't see the truth. Man, this is the love of God speaking into our lives. This is a love story. This whole book of truth. God wants to impart that into our lives. Amen? Jesus, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for this family. With every eye closed right now, if you're here this morning, and you're like, I want that grace. I don't know if I've ever come to Jesus and chose to begin to follow him. To call myself a Christ follower. To say, I want to be a believer in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, I'm not going to have you come forward. I just want to see your hand. I think it's good for you to have an affirmation. To say, yeah, today's my day, God. I I want a relationship with you. Is there anyone here today for the first time? Or maybe someone today that you just feel like you need to recommit things to the Lord. I've been trying to do it on my own. And I'm slipping to the point where I'm not even trying anymore. I care less. God's saying, it's all right. My grace is sufficient. Come to me. Amen. Father God, as we close, as we leave here today, we thank you that we can be your people. And we thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for us to be dynamic, not for our glory, but that you might be seen in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.